All right, Dylan, it was uh, quite the week in golf. I don't know if it was wacky or if it was fun <laughs> or if it was weird. Sell me on it. Was it. Definitely, it was definitely different. I mean, the week began with the player impact program. The week ended with uh, Team Mullet winning the Zurich Classic. So let's dive into all of that. Uh, first, let's, let's, let's start with Team Mullet because I think if any American – was rocking the mullet threads right now. They w- would be all over Sports Center, especially if they won yesterday. I think, I think what Cam Smith has been doing is great, both on the course and with his hair. Uh, can we get the guy even more fan- fans right now? Like, I feel like he needs to get hyped up even more than he already is. I think that Cam Smith is having a moment here. I mean, the guy keeps contending at the Masters. We've had a couple of those the last few months. He's all in the mix. He's The thing about the mullet is you can regenerate attention for it. Like every time you get some raggedy-ass side haircut. And I think that was one of the things he did this weekend was Mark Leishman gave him a little trim on the side. And you can just keep that going. It's like every time you, it just keeps growing out in the back. Keep trimming it up on the sides and in the front. But can and you it, imagine... Like, imagine if the guy won the Masters last last month, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, holy cow, a, the green jacket ceremony. They might have made him get a haircut in Butler Cabin before he went out for that. <laughs> it's like the New York Yankees version of golf there. I think that Cameron Smith and Mark Leishman seem like the team that you might have the most fun just hanging out with. And they for may sure. not have the, like, they may not have the most fans because they're just not household names the way, you know, some other people would be. But they just seem like they're having a good time. They pull, they do this without a tournament. You know, they play yeah. two-man golf all the time. They, they play a bunch of practice rounds together. That Aussie crew is really pretty tight-knit. Um, it's funny, the Aussie media are too. You'll see some of these questions that come into these guys at, uh, at golf events and it's so insidery. They'll they'll say what they call Scotty or they call Adam Scott Scotty. They call Cameron Smith Smitty. And so you can browse <laughs> through transcripts sometimes. You're like, this is just someone talking to his buddy. This is not a reporter golfer interview. Um, anyway, awesome winners. Cameron Smith is just going to continue gaining fans. Yes. And Mark Leishman, smart to just be along for the ride. I think it's funny how when you look at the the last 10 years of Australian uh, male golfers, we had Adam Scott become, I think, number one in the world, uh, wins his wins his Masters, should have won a British Open. He was like the uber talent. Then it was Jason Day, who actually did Tiger Woods things for basically a full 18 months, wins his major, has his moment uh, in the limelight, both of those guys have kind of dropped off and we thought that they were like the cream of the crop. And I think like career wise, they still are, but they're just nowhere near as fun as Cam Smith and Mark Leishman. Like the, the personality level Leishman is a little more dry, a little more understated, but that guy, like his ability to work the golf ball and get out of trouble and do exactly what he did on the 16th hole. When, when Cam Smith hit into the hazard, like his game travels, Cam Smith's game travels. He wins at the Zurich Classic and he contends at the Masters and then he goes and wins in Hawaii. So 
they're a different type of breed than Scott and Day. Yeah, they and are. I, and I'm all in on that, though. One interesting thing about that is how similar their games actually are to each other, or at least the ideals yeah. of their games. Um, they, they, Cam Smith was talking about that. He said they see golf courses similarly. They both like to work the ball. They both have think pretty nasty short games. Uh, as, as teammates, how much does it matter? Yeah, because, you know, that's exactly what, what St- Stuart Sink said about his son, Reagan, mm-hmm. is that, like, we see golf courses the same way. And I, I don't know this. I'm sure you have a better idea of it. Like, how much that kind of matters for playing together, caddy player relationships, yeah. stuff like that. I think it – I mean, I think if if – you see things the same way, it certainly works out well. I think if you don't see things the same way, you probably each just have to stick to your own routine and not really yeah. collaborate on stuff. But yeah, if you're seeing things the same way, then, and and if you have that comfort from playing pretty often together, then I think you could help each other and, and actually discuss shots without messing each other up. I mean, this is something I always think is weird in the Ryder Cup. It's like suddenly in the Ryder Cup, you get uh, Justin Thomas coming over to read his partner's putt in like a, <laughs> yes. a big moment. And you're like, wait a totally. minute. You you would never do this normally. Suddenly it's going to help to have one other guy give you a read when yeah. he's going to see this putt slightly differently. differently. Yeah. I mean, that has never made sense to me. I would rather have, you know, Joe Caddy reading my putt who always reads my putts than yeah. someone that just happens to be on my team, even if he's one of the best putters in the world. So yeah. I think there can always be too much reading into that stuff that happens. But um, but in this case, it seems to help them. And it's interesting that point about Scotty and Jason Day. Um, there's probably something to it that they were both world number one, albeit for, for a very brief time in Scott's world. And then Day yeah. had it for a little bit longer before fading. But... You know, I've heard interviews with both of them or stood at interviews with both of them in the last few months where they've talked about getting back to world number one. They've talked about these, you know, it's like the idea of winning is not enough. They each mentioned wanting to go on a stretch of wins. Jason Day was talking Mm. at the Masters about a Dustin Johnson type run. (laughs) And it's like, my man, find your... Find your golf game yeah. for a little bit first, you know, like string together a few healthy what months. What are you looking at? It, it's just interesting the way I think expectations really warp people in golf. And golf sure. where you're where le- fewer than 1% of the field wins each week. I mean, that's just an uphill battle if you have expectations yeah. like that. Yeah, it is interesting. Those guys have both like risen to ridiculous heights compared to Smith and Leishman, um, but Smith and Leishman are going to be the two Aussies in the Olympics, uh, unless Jason Day goes on some crazy stretch. Adam Scott said this past week that he is not going to play in the Olympics. He said that, uh, or at least his agent said, it's pretty much the only time up until October when Adam has a chance to see his family for a stretch of time. So that is the family man excuse. It is fine. Uh, we have to be accepting of that excuse. Not these people like travel the world and they don't get a lot of time with their family. So Adam Scott wants a little more time with his family. Uh, that being said, I mean, if Cameron Smith or Mark Leishman win a, a medal, 
they'll be the first Aussie golfer to win a medal. They, they, that'll be a huge, huge deal. Like, I think there's something to be said for the Australian delegate always having a great, great, great golfer over the past 10 to 15 years to look towards. And then those guys have started to fade now. And like, I would call them these, you know, Smith and Leishman to be these like B plus level Aussie players that are going to have like the same amount of fans. If they win a medal, they'll be beloved in Australia. I think for a very, very long time, maybe on the level of Scott and day. To be honest, good spin zone by Adam Scott because Leishman's about to pass him in the world <laughs> rankings anyway. Scott's 36, yeah, Leishman's also, 37. <laughs> also, yeah, he wasn't even necessarily going to be qualified for the yeah. event. That's another, it's a classic you fi- you're fired, I quit situation where yeah. Adam Scott, I mean, look, hopefully he plays well. Quick aside, should the Zurich Classic give out world ranking points? It does not currently. No, because... A couple years ago, Brooks Kepka grabbed Chase by the uh, bootstraps and pulled him along to, I think, a top five finish, mm-hmm. which got him into the following week's event. Uh, not to say that Chase Kepka can't can't do that well on his own, but it was one of those things where it's like Chase doesn't even necessarily merit being involved in a PJ Tour event at that point in his career. Brooks is his brother. He gets to bring him in because that's who he wants to play with. Uh, so... No, it's a little stickier that yeah. way. I mean, you're all you are already getting points, and to your point, there's some handouts that go on with these pairings for sure. There are guys sure. reaching out to uh, to pull a buddy up. I'm not sure exactly if there were. I don't know if there were contenders that ended up falling under that category, but I mean, certainly a nice couple weeks for Peter Uline, who won on the Corn Ferry Tour last week, and you know, he's been off the map and now a, a third place finish this week were, was pretty solid. But no, that's probably about right. FedEx Cup points, no world ranking points. Um, Mark Leishman and Cameron Smith, one thing we haven't mentioned, they didn't play together at the President's Cup uh, yeah. in December 2019. I think they wanted to. I think they were interested yes. in being a, a team. Ernie Els said Ernie was the like, nah. analytics didn't. <laughs> you know, didn't really, uh, line up. I, I don't, I don't think you can that really make all. that case now. <laughs> I don't buy it mainly because, um, they were two of the best players on the team. So like the analytics will line up for the best golfers. It doesn't matter what format you stick them out in. I think there's something to be said for Ernie saying, Hey, we're in Australia. I want to spread the Aussies out. So all these fans don't go and follow Leishman and Smith. I want, I don't even know who they played with necessarily. I think Abe Answer maybe played with Leishman mm-hmm. uh, at one point, or maybe Waco Neiman may have. Either way, like let's mix in a little bit more of the international guys, so we don't have all the Aussie fans just like yeah. hounding one group. I think that's a fine mentality. I think uh, when they come to Quail Hollow next year, yeah, this is going to be a guaranteed pairing. Did it feel like the the field was decent for? the event this year i yeah. started by saying unfortunately we don't we don't a lot have better, like but. i think it as good as it's ever been i think the event itself i think guys are they go to it to have a little fun mm-hmm. new orleans is the perfect place to have a little fun to eat more food than you should eat maybe drink a little more than you should drink 
really like dive into the local scene. And if you play good golf, you know, there's actually plenty of money to be had. <laughs> yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Like you're playing with a friend. It's a nice little reprieve between, you know, the really intense March into the master's season and then what becomes actually a pretty intense month of May too. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a look at what, you know, a uh, World Cup of Golf that p good pros actually played would look like. Um, yeah, because we have that event too. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it exists, but, you know, we don't really tend to talk much about it. There were some high scores on Sunday, Sean. This alternate shot format can get weird, especially in a difficult golf course that can play long. Uh, you saw Cameron Champ and Tony Finau were right in the mix, and man, just... Yeah. A, a Sunday 76 took them from T2 to T17 by the end You're of the day. You're talk about the other Aussies? Uh, the other, you know, you're referring to Greg Chalmers and Cameron Percy who shot 82 <laughs> on Sunday. It's an interesting format where once your team gets off, they really can get off. There were actually only uh, maybe four or five scores in the 60s on Sunday a bunch of scores in the high 70s but you saw that all week I mean some of the higher profile teams just didn't even make the weekend Colin Morikawa and then whatever is going on with his playing partner Matthew Wolf they shot three over par gosh um, you know what I'm now that you brought it up I'm kind of upset yeah that go on. <laughs> I'm upset with how this is a Ryder Cup year Dylan did you see a single team out there? I see one team of Americans that could conceivably be a Ryder Cup pairing. Kevin Xander Kisner and, and Scott Brown. <laughs> Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay mm -hmm. is the only truly, at this point, conceivable Ryder Cup pairing. And you know what? There are more potential Ryder Cup pairings from the European squad, which maybe is something you would expect. But you have Danny Willett and Tyrrell Hatton playing together. Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of weirdly have John Rahm and Ryan Palmer. They're just, they're just friends. Henrik Stenson and Justin Rose. You have Graham McDowell and Matt Wallace. That might not be a Ryder Cup team. But either way, the point is, during a Ryder Cup year, that event is less than uh, – it's like perfectly five months away. Mm -hmm. well, is it ridiculous to ask Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas – Hey, like, maybe you guys should, like, think about the Zurich Classic. We, we want to pair you guys together at the Ryder Cup. Let's go feel it out. Like, let's learn something down in New Orleans that we can use at Whistling Straits. Why? I know it's a lot to ask guys to, like, think about their schedules, like, that much. Mm -hmm. But this feels like a pretty easy thing that you could have asked if you're Steve Stricker. And a lost opportunity, really. Am I, am I making too much out of that? No, you're not. I mean, uh, it's just, you know, how quickly my mind went to like, well, they'd never go for it. I think speaks to the level of commitment that the U.S. team really has to, to finding that. I mean, some of these pairings would love to be in the, in the Ryder Cup. Keegan Bradley, Brendan Steele, those guys would kill <laughs> for it. Um, I mean, I, th I think Bubba and Scotty Scheffler would be the next most likely... Hi, yeah, in terms of Ryder Cup pairing, which 
isn't going to happen. <laughs> well, I think but they played. Mor- they played really well together. I think Morikawa and Wolf would be in a different world. It's just that Wolf is just not playing like a Ryder Cupper right now. If you he's not said, playing like a PGA Tour player. Right no, now. he's not. He's really not. And last <laughs> fall, you would have said, you know, he's right in the mix there. But yeah, Morikawa is number four in the Ryder Cup standings right now. It's going to be an absolute mess figuring out those last four players on the U.S. Ryder Cup team this year. I mean, it's just not well, clear. Patrick Cantlay is not on that team right now. Uh, Will Zalatoris six is playing like he picks, should be on the way. team. That's right. There's six captains. Yeah, I mean, all six of those are going to be a mess. Currently, the guys in those spots, Patrick Reed, Tony Finau, Webb Simpson, Daniel Berger, Jordan Spieth, and Billy Horschel. And then you've got a couple hmm. guys like Patrick Cantlay and Harris English are on the outside looking in. So, I don't know. I mean, Yeah, so, like, I mean, if you're Steve Stricker, right, and I know that these teams and this was probably figured out months ago, but if you if you thought like, hey Billy Billy Horschel, you want to be on this Ryder Cup team, why don't you choose some American that you also think might be on that team? Billy, why don't you get paired up with Scotty Scheffler, you know the match play guys that ended up seeing each other in the finals in Austin? Why don't you guys pair up together and like prove to me that you can play together on a Ryder Cup team? Maybe I'm like giving. It the Zurich classic and the setup of that course way too much, uh, way too much credit. You know, it'll play differently than whistling straights and that'll be September, which is five months away. But I don't know. A lot of people are talking about the Ryder cup and they're only going to start talking about it more and more and more. And if you wanted to have the true feather in your cap for being a Ryder cup player and say, Hey, captain Stricker, me and my partner shot, 68 alternate shot down in new orleans to win the event on sunday that's that's just as worthy as any other tour when i think the rest of the year sans majors but you know a couple guys yeah. that there was some chatter about that are not going to be on the uh the Ryder cup team stewart sink stewart sink's not going to be on that team i know them wow my man's won wow. twice <laughs> i know it's he's great. like number th- He's like like number three or two for like player of the year right now. Yeah, he is. He's number twenty four in the Ryder Cup standings. <laughs> He's not close. I know there was a discussion that kicked up about that last week, and uh, it's just not going to happen. Kevin Kisner, another guy who just keeps playing well in match play. Mm-hmm. I think he would be a great pick. He would be a nice addition, but I don't see it happening. He sits at number twenty one right now. Kevin Na, something similar, good match play player, has had success this year, number 23. I mean, there's some of these stories that are nice, you know, but then at the end of the day, you know that Tony Finau and Webb Simpson are going to get those spots. They're, they just <laughs> they just are. They're they're relentless. Yeah. They, they rack and up so many top together. <laughs> Yeah, and they will probably play together. Bubba Watson, maybe not. Can we talk Go about ahead. the guy that's number 36, though, really quick, Sean? This is kind of an aside. Do you know who's number 36 in the Ryder Cup standings? Uh, either Tiger or Phil. Tiger Woods. Where yeah. is Phil? <laughs> Phil is Phil is number 50 right now. That Dang. is one spot ahead of Lucas Glover. Um, Tiger is Maybe number 36. Captain. I'm not ready to say that Tiger is going to mount a comeback for the Ryder Cup, but he did post a photo on Instagram last week, Sean. And this is a big deal. And I just wanted to give you a few quick observations from this photo because there's kind of more here than meets the eye. I mean, at first, it's just good to see. We were saying and thinking all kinds of dire things about Tiger Woods 
and about his body just a couple months ago. Everything was an unknown. You know, was he going to make a full recovery? Uh, was there, you know, lasting damage to his body, to his head, to, you know, various things? Now we see him. He's on crutches already. He's moving around. He's got his dog next to him who has now lived a long life. If we're doing the math on that one, I think that this dog has to be like a teenager by this point. Um, but the fact that Tiger is out there moving around, taking blurry, blurry photos and posting them to his Instagram means that he's thinking about, you know, moving on with his life. He's He was yeah. going to Charlie's golf events this weekend. Um, it's just, it's it's encouraging. I think it's easy to see and then just say, oh, that's good. But like, we were really worried this sort of thing might not happen. I mean, I think people yeah. were talking about him being in a wheelchair for yes. a long, long, long time. His left leg is fine. It's it's skinnier than ever, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> it, it's just nice to see some encouraging signs from the greatest golfer of this generation. Yeah, he, he eked out a smile too. That's always helpful. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're right about the wheelchair thing. I mean, if he's rolling around at a golf tournament in a wheelchair, that's a horrible look. You put him on crutches, all of a sudden it's a great look. Yeah. Uh, th there's an interesting difference in that. It is good to see. Uh, when it first happened, my gut reaction, and I still believe this to be true, was, okay, he's done playing golf for a long time. Uh, he will make his first truly meaningful public appearance at the Ryder Cup. Mm. And I think he'll still do that. Uh, I don't think he'll be talking to the press at any point. He has no, he's not hosting any events. Um, you know, he might host Tiger Jam or whatever that thing is sometime this year. But the, the meaningful thing is that Steve Stricker, I imagine, will make Tiger Woods an assistant captain. And Tiger will be able to do what all captains do and just ride around in a cart all week. And he's going to stand there on that first tee at the Ryder Cup. And people are going to lose their freaking minds. <laughs> it, it will be a storyline, uh, a mentality, a mindset all week that Patrick Reed and Justin Thomas and whomever are trying to win this one for Tiger. They want to keep him involved. They desperately care about the guy. I, I cannot see a scenario in which that storyline doesn't happen if Tiger's around. Isn't it amazing how many comebacks one guy can have? I was just reading a story the other day uh, that was written in 2015, and it referenced Tiger, and it, and it referenced a recent accident, car mm. accident. And it's like, yeah, I have no idea. If you read that sentence on its own, it could be in 2012. It could be in 2018. It could be in 2021. And you wouldn't really know which year it was based off the context of the sentence. So wait, you yeah, had how another many comebacks? one 2015? Are you talking about it? No, yeah, it was in 20, the article was in 2015, but oh, all right. I it was you. still in jest and referencing his, his initial mm. car accident. And so the whole point is if you look at just that paragraph, it could be any year really, uh, besides a couple of the last decade, um, plus. So we're happy that tiger's upright. That's right. And we hope no more career-defining events with Tiger Woods will involve vehicles. Yeah, and he's, he's posting on social media, which will bring us to probably our best topic of the day, mm. is that when Tiger Woods posts on social media, he gets all kind of engagement. People write about it. 
There are Google searches. His Q score is probably through the roof already. We're talking about the player impact program. I say it with my hands in quotations because it's kind of a goofy name. PIP. Uh, the PGA Tour is giving out $40 million. $40 million from its annual budget yeah. is going to go to eight special players. Eight special players that have, one, played well that year. Two, driven a lot of social media engagement. Three, mm -hmm. had people Googling their name. Four, are giving the PGA Tour a little bit of time, <laughs> a little bit of like, uh, like I think it's one day of like mm -hmm. sponsor work. They're committing to one more event per year beyond what is already expected of them as tour members. And I think there's this MVP index that Jordan Spieth's dad created. There is uh, the Q score. It's a popularity prize. That's the bottom line. And I think there are two ways you can look at it. And I would not fault you either way. The one, the first way is that PGA Tour players are unlike other athletes in that their earnings first and foremost, come down to what they did on the golf course. Shooting 69 or shooting 73 impacts their wallets. And if you really struggle, you're going to have a tough year financially. So that is one way in which PGA Tour players make their money. And this is just another way. Like this should be another fashion for them to create uh, value from their market. Like the market of PGA great golfers is only so big and they are the best at it and they have the most fans. And so most of the money that comes into the PGA tour should go to them. It'd be like if golf magazine hired 150 writers, Dylan, and you were the one who most people followed and had the most traffic and were writing the most stories. Maybe you should get paid the most. That's one way of looking at this thing. The other way I think is a bit more, uh, pessimistic and fair is that why is money going to the richest? Why are the richest players getting paid more? Why, uh, like Liverpool and the English Premier League clubs and the European clubs, do the rich need to get richer in this exact moment at the end or in the later stages of a pandemic that like crushed budgets and actually? led to 50 people on the PGA Tour losing their jobs. That's the way to look at this thing mm -hmm. in the more pessimistic sense. $40 million could go to a lot of things. Do they need to go to Rory Brooks, DJ Bryson, Spieth, JT, Ricky, Tiger, Phil? Yeah, I and maybe I have like a, a 2B version of looking at it, which to me, what weirds me out about this program is just the role the PGA Tour is playing in it. Yes. Um, because to me, the PGA Tour's job, I know they're an entertainment organization. I know the whole thing is, you know, has elements of a, a traveling circus, but they also are a governing body putting on golf tournaments, paying out the winners. I think I would rather see more money, if you're going to put it back into the PGA Tour, I think I would rather see it still just paid out to the guys that play the best. And I know that there's... So you just want bigger purses then? Like well, you add $1 million to every purse? Look, I would love for the 
them to triple the purses on the Canadian tour. I think that would be great. But we're talking about yeah. we're talking about a rebuttal to the Premier Golf League to some extent. Here is what we're talking about, and just like in the NBA, where the most underpaid player in the league is probably LeBron James. In the PGA Tour, if you're looking at it in a pure free market sense, the most underpaid guys on tour are probably the guys that you know do Tiger, have the biggest Rory. followings. That draw, you know, yeah. Jordan Spieth is an underpaid golfer because when he was in contention at the Waste Management, people suddenly started to pay attention to a golf tournament that they would have otherwise ignored. So, I get it. I think it makes sense, but it's weird to me that the PGA Tour is now occupying this space that is normally reserved for these players' sponsors. You know, sponsors measure this stuff. Sponsors measure how often a player is on TV. Now to have the same same entity that is covering the event also be paying out for that event, it, it feels like you know, this, it's this virtuous cycle thing. It's like yeah. if Ricky Fowler keeps getting put on PGA Tour Live, he's going mm-hmm. to keep getting more attention. And then he's going to keep getting put on PGA Tour Live, which is going to then make him more money. So the, the, the way that the PGA Tour now handles all this stuff is going to be tricky. Like who does it feature on its social media? Who does the broadcast go out of its way to show? Um, yep. There's a lot of, of thorniness to this that maybe I'm old school and lame, but it's a little bit off-putting to me. Um, and well, no, you're, you're definitely old school. I wouldn't call it lame. I think it's actually more of a nuanced perspective than most people have given this thing. The, most people are saying, oh, the rich get richer. Screw mm-hmm. that. And then there are other people saying, oh, the most deserving players are <laughs> earning their keep. That's great. I think the nuanced take is what you said is like this creates a potential like slight controversy for the PGA Tour. And it might not, but I think there's a reason here that this report comes out in April and not January. The PGA Tour has done has had this thing in place since January. They even lined it up for players on tour and said, "Hey, if we had this thing cooking in 2019, these are the people who would have made money, <laughs> which is kind of a tease, really, a perfect tease. Say, hey, Jordan Spieth, you didn't play that well in 2019. You still would have made you know, $1.5 million from this bonus program. So uh, I, I think it, it will create a little bit of potential controversy if Kevin Kisner wins the match play, ends up you know, coming up one shy of the player impact program bonus pool and he is left out of the Ryder Cup team. You know, even though the Ryder Cup will be played next year technically, there's going to be a lot of, of Q score juice going around at the Ryder Cup. There is. There is. That's up to Steve Stricker entirely, right? Definitely. And so, yeah, so, I mean, you have all like these that. you have all these agencies working and one interesting thing is that you could do more commercials, therefore get a higher Q score and then doing more commercials not only makes you more money, but also puts you in position to then make more money on the player impact program. So it's just really incentivizing thirsty, thirsty golfers. And I'm wondering, do you think that that is a good thing for us, Sean, as golf content consumers? 
Oh, <laughs> I, I think yes, a little bit. I'm here for more content. I'm here for Bryson continually showing us who he truly is. Same with Brooks Kepka. <laughs> uh, Dustin Johnson's too damn good. He doesn't need this. There are a lot of players that are too damn good. But how about Joel Damon, a guy that he definitely has the favor of golf Twitter. He has the favor of the guys at Barstool, no laying up, the drop zone. I don't know if those mm-hmm. podcasts are all of the same ilk, but uh, he has the favor of a lot of golfers. A lot of people love him but his game has not necessarily matched that level. Like, could he possibly squeak into that bonus pool? What if he goes by the way of Max Homa and creates his own podcast? And like, all of a sudden we've got six different player podcasts because they're trying to do more, get themselves out there. I think we could benefit from spicier quotes. Billy Horschel has been a spicy quote lately and that feels like it's been organic but maybe it hasn't because he knew that the player impact program was alive all along and billy ho promising that he was going to get off social media maybe he's back on for this reason you know yeah it's i do it, i it, wonder it, who it gives us a tough lens to see everything through now it's a little bit darker lens it's a little bit wonky it's hard you start to, to think question motives. Organic. You start to, yeah. qu- I mean, to the Billy Horschel point, you're going to start to question okay, is so and so doing this because they want to do it, or are they doing it because it's a publicity stunt? And maybe we are, uh, maybe we've had our heads in the sand for not always thinking that way. And I guess to some extent we have been thinking that way. But you know, you yeah. look back to Bubba Watson making TikToks at the uh, waste management, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Yep. <laughs> what was that about? I thought, I thought he was just being weird. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was just being Bubba being Bubba. And and look, by doing, even when these guys do sponsor shoots, we learn more about them unquestionably. TaylorMade Golf puts out these videos where it's Rory and Jason Day hitting chip shots. That's really cool because you can't fake it forever. You you at some point you if you're just on camera with the camera rolling you. You're just going to be yourself because that's the easiest thing to do. So there's plenty to be learned here by these guys, you know, just being themselves, even if it's even if it's what feels like a very staged opportunity for Brooks Kepka to get more clout by playing um, golf against the CEO of Barstool. That doesn't mean it won't be fun. Um, So I don't know. I'm all all conflicted about this. We're going to see a bunch of thirsty golfers. We're going to see a bunch of guys that think they have a chance at cracking the top eight like Billy Horschel when there's just no way. uh, That's just not a feasible thing for him. Mark Leishman talked about, you know, maybe he could be on the the verge. And I love Mark Leishman. I would love for him to be in that sort of standing on the PGA Tour. It's not going to happen. There's no, there's really only not. a few guys that could contend for this. I was shocked to see Justin Rose crack that list, the hypothetical 2019 list. But I guess at that yeah, point he was contending he for that? world number one. Yeah, he was actually playing well. He, uh, he was a different golfer back then. Uh, let's move on to the LPGA Tour, which it's taken us damn near 40 minutes to get to, which is a shame. But Brooke Henderson won the LA Open. Uh, Jessica Corda probably should have won. She was on cruise control kind of all week. Uh, I was at Wilshire Country Club, a place, damn it, I want to get to. And the reason I want to get to it now is because we got to see it on its own on Wednesday night. 
And then we get to see Brooke Henderson win on Saturday night. And the point I'm making is that the LPGA Tour is in an interesting part in its schedule where it's on the West Coast and it just headed to China this week. Uh, they have played a couple events in a row that are Wednesday start, Saturday finish. And I watched every single second of the Wednesday starts and I watched a lot of the Saturday finishes and I didn't get to, in these particular instances, watch a lot on Thursday and Friday, but that's, those are really tough days for viewing regardless. Like you have a lot of NBA basketball on Thursday nights and Friday nights. Uh, You have people going out on Friday nights, living their lives on Friday nights. I think the LPGA tour needs to lean into this. And I, I say that with the caveat of I hate that the women, uh, the women's tour has to think outside the box. They have to do things in a slightly different way than the men do because people are used to watching golf on the weekends. Um, but I think Wednesday is a ton of potential, even more than the whole Saturday night thing. I, I've said it in Tour Confidential. I've said it to you probably six times now. An event, or excuse me, a, a, a day of the week that the LPGA Tour could own and have just about all the discussion in golf that night, that day, be about women, be about the caddies who caddy for LPGA Tour players, be about, you know, show a, a, a brighter light on the sponsors who are spending money to enrich the women's game. Like, do it all on Wednesday. <laughs> Nail it on Wednesday. I think that we could change some viewing habits. I think that you would just it would just be a great time to highlight the women's game and i hate that it's just you know really focused on that one day a week but it would feel like progress to me i think the biggest thing here is ensuring that pga tour and lpga tour events are properly staggered with res- with respect yes. to their finishes i think that it's just a losing proposition to have both events being played sort of in parallel pitting them up against each other. Um, you know, I mean, in, until the point we get a, a golf red zone where you could just flip back and forth between the leaders on the Corn Ferry Tour and the LET and the LPGA. And until that day, it seems like a losing proposition to have it all happening at the same time. I know sometimes there's, there's reasons with scheduling that it should happen, but... I mean, I personally love to see it. I know not everyone gets to watch golf during the week when they're at their job like we do. So we're in in privileged company there. But there has to be something said for whether it's a Monday finish, a Tuesday finish, or like you said, maybe just own that Wednesday start um, and and get the attention out front. Certainly primetime is pretty great, having a West Coast event on the LPGA while the PGA Tour is on Eastern time. That helps stagger the finish quite a bit. Um, and having that Saturday evening, or even if it had been Sunday evening, that attention shift over to the women's game, that's got to be a good thing. So I yeah. know they think about this stuff. Um, I know that this is this is not something that's happened by accident, but certainly just awesome to see, A, them playing at a different, more creative time, Wednesday through Saturday this week. B, to have them playing at Wilshire which was a really interesting venue, just a classic Los Angeles um, 
venue in the same way that the Genesis captures our attention every year at Riviera. Yep. Um, and then just to have the best golfers on the LPGA playing so well continues to be huge for the women's game. I think the men's game suffers from it sometimes, but this year we've been really lucky to have some of the, the highest profile golfers playing in contention and winning these events. Yes, I think that's an important point. And one point that I want to make that is strictly my own like experience, I think it might be more frequent than, than more people uh, are aware of, is that the, the easiest way to get me to watch the PGA Tour on Friday is to have one of my favorite players shoot a good round on Thursday. Mm. And like, I'm trying to think of my favorite player on the PGA Tour. I always say it's got to be the same as you. It's probably Xander. If Xander has the first-round lead, I'm watching him on Friday, no matter what. And I think that just it implies a little bit more uh, importance and significance for the first round. Like, people are always worried about the ratings of the finishing rounds, right? And how Saturday night, you know, maybe it won't be as great a ratings as Sunday. Well, I think you get people to buy into these tournaments early on. When Jordan Spieth was the first round leader, uh, I believe, you know, a couple different times this spring already, that got people watching on Friday. When Jessica Corda went out and tied the course record on, th on Wednesday, I was diving in to watch her round on uh, Thursday. So, like, I think there's a bit more of a connection to how an event begins to, and to how it ends. And you kind of want people to just be aware of it. I mean, it, it'll, it sends more people to LPGA Tour leaderboard on its website. It, it keeps people aware of what's happening. A lot of times I think people just, they see the game story, they see the leaderboard on, you know, when the LPGA event ends. Like, oh, so that's who won this week on the LPGA Tour and are less bothered to find out how they won or why they won and what the highlights were. So getting it in front of people earlier on, I think, it's underrated at this point. That's just kind of my take. It's funny how golf works. You know, Lydia Ko off a career-changing victory last week. Career-changing in the sense that it, it you know, theoretically jump-started the next wave of her career. She goes and shoots 78 the first round, misses the cut. Leona McGuire had the, the best result of her young LPGA Tour career last week. She goes out and misses the cut this week. Um, the Cordas continue to play well. Well, Jess was, Corda said that she took a red eye from Hawaii and like played like one nine hole practice stretch on Tuesday and then went out and shot the course record and then damn near broke it again the next day. So yeah, golf is stupid. <laughs> 64, 65 to open for Jessica Corda. And I mean, she had, she held a three shot lead with what? 12 holes to play on Sunday. I think. Brooke Henderson played really well, took it from her, um, and had completely flipped that by the time they got through 14. Then it was a three-shot lead in the other direction. So mm, Brooke Henderson okay. seized this tournament, the greatest Canadian golfer in history, I believe. <laughs> All right, Dylan. Well, that's 44 coming up on 45 minutes. Is there anything else we need to tell the people about? Oh, boy. What a loaded question. I don't know. How's your player impact score? Is there anything you're doing to change your own personal metrics well, this week? I was, I was just thrilled to see Thomas Peters uh, 
and Tom Lewis, a couple of uh, European young guys. Their walk-up music this week was S Club 7, mm. which is really, really good. S Club 7 was, I believe, a British band um, in the early 2000s. They were pop stars. Do you not know what S Club 7 is? Ain't no party like an S Club party, Sean. Oh, okay, good. Gosh, you scared me for a little bit there. <laughs> Anyways, that that is this, that is not even the song that they went with. S Club 7 has like, what, three bangers? Two? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but younger younger guys than us, um, Tom Lewis and Thomas Peters, they uh, they appreciate the good pop vibes. I'm curious what our walk-up music would be if you were playing this event with me. Oh boy, I don't know. It'd be some it would have to be a, it would be old some school hip hop. Right? Oh wow. yeah, Avicii, R.I.P. Gone too soon. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that would, that would probably be right. I'm not sure we'd have to pick something that would like bring us back to our college peaks um, Maybe like, before it uh, all started to go steadily downhill. But here we are. <laughs> Sean, one thing I'd like to leave you with, a happy bladed Earth Day to you and to all Thank our you. listeners. Yeah, I hope, I hope people go out and appreciate uh, the Earth this week, last week as well, this past weekend. I played a little golf up near Evanston. Uh yeah nice earth day all around all right well that sounds great we are in uh we're in a blessed position in this golf world to be able to enjoy mother nature all the time we'll continue to do so in the meantime sean for the drop zone we'll see you guys next week